Psalm 57, let's read it together. To the choir master, according to do not destroy a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass. I cry out to to God most high, to the God who fulfills his purposes for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples upon me, Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are live swords. Oh, we made it. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, awake. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, amongst the peoples. I will sing praises to you amongst the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness To the clouds, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Oh, do you find it as significant uh, as I do that King David, the greatest worship leader of the Old Testament, wrote all his psalms, sang all his songs. Uh, chose all his um, choir masters, led all his processions, gave us a model uh, for God-centers worship before Israel had any other building to go into, before they could go into and, and have the comfort of what you and I have got this morning. It was his son who would build the temple, not David, and but the great period of Israel's creative, powerful, God-centered worship was during the reign of the poet King David before there was a temple for a people to gather into. What's the significance of this clear, historic, even biblical fact? The significance seems to be at least this is that the temple that Solomon built was not essential for Israel's worship. Wow. God willed that there would be a temple and said uh, that he would put it on the hearts of the people to have a temple. You see that in uh, 1 Chronicles uh, 29. 
But God actually ordered history in a way, in such a way that David, the great worship of is uh, worship leader of Israel, flourished in a generation without a temple. Wow, my wife's frowning at me. She's going to check me up on this afterwards. But it's true. God showed us clearly, showed what it was he doing. He's showing the people that a temple is not essential for worship. He's showing us this. And it's very important that we learn this plain lesson of God. It sounds very simple, but you and I get very tied up, emotional and emotive about this subject. We are privileged to meet in this new building. And I wrote this sermon over a week ago. But it was interesting, wasn't it, that when we said that we'd got to move to the Nick Whitehead Theatre, there was an ungodly groan that rose from the ranks of the people as if something awful will happen when we enter into this sloping room with blue seats. That you will change dramatically forever. That demons would fly out of the ground and gobble you up and you would be no more because of the Nick Whitehead Theatre. Wow. But it's true. It is true. Because some of you already have made up your mind. You made up your mind 15 minutes ago in the midst of Rupert's notices. No, this cannot be. God has blessed us with some musicians, some that were here today, some that were not here, that are sitting in the congregation. We may sometimes have what Phil Harmon fondly calls the whole band. You may have to endure, just like a few weeks ago, me and a triangle. (laughs) And it is really interesting that when you walk in to such things and, and understand such things, there is something in your heart that either wells or drops as you perceive these sort of different things. To musicians or to not. We meet with God. But actually, these things, they do change our hearts, if we're honest. You've developed a preference, so have I. I, I've developed a preference. I used to sit here. I now sit here. I don't like it so much there. I like it here. Because it enables me to take the mickey out of Phil Harmon when he's leading worship. It just does. And I've done that. And what happens is that we say things like, we will never go back to the days of pulpits where the families sat in the same place year after year and you were born into this pew. But actually, some of you are in exactly the same position as you have been since the day you entered in. And to move and sit by Rupert on the front row would just... I just could not do this. You couldn't do it. What would happen 
if one week we decided that we'd go that way round, and you came through those doors and you found that the rows were not six or seven deep, but only two. What would happen if we said, this week there are no chairs? There would be a clinging to the walls for safety as we think, what might happen here to me in this open space that we do? Chairs have provided a comfort for me. What if we said that you, what if we'd have said at the preaching, and sometimes they did, there's not many of us here this morning, please move forward. No, would come the cry from the back, how dare thee, this is an offence to me, as we're just asked, and what have we asked? Please come and sit by me. No, not doing it. And it comes through time and time again. What if you came in this morning, and that we just said, Actually, we're starting at 11. We're going to have coffee first. (laughs) And some people would wait for next week and think, if they do that next week, what I'll do is I'll come later because I don't want the fellowship thing. Don't like the fellowship thing. Mustn't have the fellowship. Need the meat of the word and the worship. Don't like the fellowship thing. No, soon as it's out, may the Lord bless you. We're out the door as if it's we've gone like this. What is this fellowship thing? Can't do that. Suddenly, our whole lives are structured without knowledge around the temple and the temple worship. We are in danger of becoming temple people. Rupert said to us this morning, please cue, 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 what is this? And somebody said, this, you have to drink it, I'm not sharing out of this, Andrew might spit in it. We believe in a God who created the heaven and the earth, but we believe that Andrew spit will kill us. It is extraordinary. I'm not touching the bread. I must have a little bit of a cloth that wipes it round. The cloth doesn't wipe it round. It just moves it round. You will get it anyway. So I'm not queuing. What I need is a little cup. My own thing. And you see, and it all depends. Now I can't worship the Lord. You will be surprised how much we have become temple people. People will come to church. They will ask you, is there a Sunday school? Is there a creche? Is there a youth meeting? No, that's not church. It's like that, isn't it? That is not church. You think, what? This is not church. No, a church is made of these things. No, that's what the temple is made of. It's the temple. It's interesting, isn't it? Well, we need, you know, it's not going to work. We need the PA. And I need one of these things. And my wife says to me, you can't, the stuff is, you know, they got this thing. Oh, Whitfield didn't have his wife saying, your cable's hanging out, did he? It's all that sort of thing. People will look at you. And actually, what we do is that we say, so when we go to Borderlands, Next week, interesting, now Steve, are you listening to me? Listen to me careful. If we are consumed with cables, wires and buildings, we will not meet with God. We will not. Because it is not about the temple. It's not about provision. It's not about performance. It is about him. 
And we have to get that in our mind. Him only. Him first. Him I've come to meet. Well, what if it's different? Him. What if it's changed? Him. What, what about all this? What's hot, too cold? Him. Him. And have you settled that? Have you settled that in your heart? Let's look then at the theology of that before, we, before I continue to upset anybody. There are four essential instincts of true worship that you find in Psalm 57. And uh, where they are missing, no provision or performance will make this worship real. And where they are present, anywhere or anytime, can become a powerful meeting place with God. And that's my prayer for Gateway Church. My prayer for us is that we don't become temple people. We become Jesus people. That's what we are first. And that whatever it is that we do this, we, we, will, we will sort of be Jesus people first. Okay, let's try and work our way through these four things. Pressing through things for God's name. True worship comes from the instinct to press through things for the name of God. For the name of God. If we look at this and look at David's situation, I want you to notice from the title at the beginning of the psalm what David's situation was. A miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. 1 Samuel tells us that this was in the wilderness, tells us of, of this was in, in Endegi, Endeg, Edi, sorry, and David and his few hundred men were being pursued by Saul with his 3,000 men. So it's five against one. David doesn't have a proper army and he's trapped in a cave. Look at, look at the psalm. Just look at the psalm. What is David doing? What is David doing? <laughs> David... Is, is worshipping. David is worshipping. To grasp the, of what the reality is here, we need to realise that the only reason that Saul is going to kill David is because God has anointed him to be king in Saul's place. And because God is blessing, uh, is blessing David above Saul... Do you remember that song that began to be sung amongst the people? Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. So it is difficult. It's brought on by David's commitment to God's call. Something is higher than the cave. Something is higher than the threat of Saul. Something is higher than the 3,000 men. In other words, the hazards of David's life were brought on by the call of God. In fact, the call of God will bring you hazards. And you have to decide whether you will press through in regard to the hazard. That's just simple biblical truth. If David had wanted to keep himself safe and secure and comfort and out of the way without any problems whatever, when Samuel came up to him and anointed him as king, he could have just said, look, 
mate, you know, I'm the littlest guy of the end here, give it to the big brother at the end, I'm very happy doing my sheepy thing out in the field, you know, they're all bigger than me, just leave it to that. But he didn't, he didn't at all. Instead, he submitted to God's call and he said, no, you have called me to be this person, you have called me to, be, to, to follow you. And David once said to his friend Jonathan, in a, and I think an incredibly sort of profound statement, he said, as the Lord lives, there is but a step between me and death. Wow. And yet, even knowing that, he's pressing through in worship of his God. You know, for half of us, if there's a step between death and us, we're not going to be here, are we? We're just not. We need to just be honest with ourselves. Our faith is not like this. And actually, this is why David's here, to help us with our faith. It's extraordinary, isn't it? That David's pressing through with all these emotions. And out of that commitment to put himself in some really rough and nasty situations for the name of God, and in obedience to God's call, came psalm after psalm after psalm of profound worship, including this one. Wow. It's mad, isn't it? Wow. Time after time after again. You imagine some of this. You imagine some of this catch. Look, verse 4. My soul is in the midst of lions. And David writes a psalm. I lie down amidst fiery beasts. And David writes a psalm. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And David worships the Lord. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. And David worships the Lord. David didn't have to endure this. He could have forsaken his calling. He could have taken an easy road, but he didn't. And actually, here's the wonderful thing about this. The result of this decision in David's life was a deep, living, authentic God, psalmed worship, whatever way you want to put it. That worship was the thing that sort of it deepened him. It didn't, it didn't sort of just say, well, I'll just come back a bit when I've just endured some of these things. No, it actually matured him. It actually affected him. I want to suggest that we should be a haven between, not instead of trouble. Here's the point. If we consistently choose the path of safety and comfort and security instead of pressing through in difficult times for our God in obedience and love and worship, then our worship actually will be very superficial. It will be superficial. It will be about feelings. It will be about us. It will be about those sort of things. When we come to this place, we will come for what I can get out of it rather than what I can give. This is really interesting. The caves but, pardon? The caves 
the cave's got a leak. It's only a temple. My, my suggestion is leave it. Don't worry, it's just a temple. We don't need it. <laughs> if it leaks, it leaks. We'll carry on. <laughs> Let's just do it. And it's really interesting that, that, that what we do is that... I've just lost my way. Sorry, just going to come back. But if what we do... Let me just come back to that. Sorry about this. Can we not do that again? Is that all right? If it leaks, just let it leak. So if, if the, this is the point here, that if we choose safety, security... And if we choose, if we choose need-centered, I'm here for me. Through, uh, instead of pressing through di- difficult times, then our worship and and our the effect of God on our lives will be very thin. It will be, because because that is not the way in which God matures us and helps us to meet with Him. That's not the way. And the way that David, the way we do it is what the way that David did, is to follow the call of God and press through risks and all. So if it's tough, we press through. So, and as you press through into the presence of God, this is what happens with your heart. And actually some of you this morning, just in here, I can feel it just from here. You need to press through right now. You're stuck. Your mind is elsewhere. It's just not here, is it? I just sense it with you. And you think, no, I've got to settle this in my heart. I've got to come through the risk and worship God because that is the process that matures me. That's the process. That's the essential number one. If, God, if God's blessing is going to be upon us as a real company of worshippers who gather together, then this must be a haven between trouble. It mustn't replace trouble. True worship will come from the instinct to whatever the obstacle to press through into the presence of God. Secondly, humbling ourselves under God's hand. True worship comes from the instinct to humble ourselves under the hand of God. Now, I want to just suggest to you that this is not an easy thing to do. It wasn't an easy thing for David to learn. It's not an easy thing for me or one you, for you either. The reason is that this actually is very deep and more profound than we think it is. And I think actually humility in worship is very rare. And I say that even in myself. I need to learn to be more humble before my God. David said this in regard to the Bathsheba affair. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise using the AV. I just prefer the AV in that one. And if you look at the humility in this psalm, it says, Be merciful to me, O God. O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. The shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storm of destruction pass. This is, this is today I am going to meet with my God. So it's not today I'm going to Sainsbury's. So it's not today I'm doing a little bit of DIY. But today, I'm going to meet with the company of believers to my God. It's awesome, folks. It's, it's not casual. 
It's, it's not, well, you know, it's what I do on a Sunday morning. No, this is your God whom you meet this morning. A while ago, uh, newspapers carried some articles about some shootings that were in London and carried out by teenagers. Probably some of you will remember this. There was a period, I think it's probably about a year ago, wasn't it, that they were carried in the newspapers. Do you remember? There's like a spate of it and we thought it was going to go a lot wider than it actually did. The, the newspapers, several of them, carried uh, a headline. And uh, I, think I've got, I think I remember it because I think I was at the Brighton Conference, I think. It was around the summertime of last year. And I just remember the headline. It was just a newspaper with, with nothing else on it apart from kids that kill. And um, they were telling stories about 14, 15 and 16-year-olds that were sh- shooting one another in the face or the chest. Or, and they were, uh, when they caught them and they would ask them why, they, they answered this, well, he put me down. What? He put me down, so I shot him. Oh, right, okay. You know, or he made fun of, fun of me. Or the one that I don't know whether this caught with you was that if I didn't do it with my friends around me, I would have looked a chicken. Do you remember that one? I knifed him because I would have looked a chicken. Wow. In other words, the instinct of the human heart is, is not to be humbled, but actually is very strong. And although we say, but oh, I'm not like those people. But actually, you know, we, we're battling right now with, with that sort of, with, with, with our own pride and, and arrogance and, and feelings and preferences and all that sort of stuff. It comes, okay, you know, but actually here, you see, some kids would rather kill than be humbled. And some, some of us do not like, I do not like being humbled and yet that's the way in which I meet with God what is man that you are mindful of him who are you who am I surely this is the greatest privilege on the face of this earth to be able to stand before our God put this into David's perspective who is David David is the great warrior Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. He's the anointed one of the Lord. I am the anointed one. He's strong. He's masculine. He's handsome. He's courageous. All that sort of stuff. He's just an extraordinary man. But here is David who is just saying, I am here by the grace of God. And it's his instinct to be humbled. I, I... I don't deserve to worship you. I don't deserve to offer praise to you. I, I, who am I to, to be able to stand in your presence? And that's, that's one of the things that are going to help us, that we are humbled by the grace of God that has been extended to us. We are here by his mercy and his mercy alone. What a privilege Do you know how that affected David? He did not care what he looked like in his worship of God. So was his humility and the wonder of the grace of God that he he didn't bother what he looked like. He just went for it for his God. 
You know, our humility, my humility has not caught up with me yet that I can forget what you are thinking about me. It just hasn't. I'm very sorry. I want to apologize for that. I'm on a journey with it. I want to be able to forget you. Phil has a little bit of thing about me. And he says to me, Nigel always worships with his one eye. Because I'm looking to see what the musicians to do. I'm worried about the prophetic words. Are they going to come? There wasn't many this morning. I was worried about the fact this morning that only the leaders prayed or prophesied or spoke in tongues. I was worried about that. I was one-eyeing it again. And what I did is that I just so worried about what I was thinking about that I just didn't worry about who cares. I'm going to worship the Lord. And I want to stand in front of you and I want to apologize that I did that this morning. I want to say to you, I am so sorry. My focus was not on what it should have been. It was on what you were doing and it was not on the Lord. And I want to repent publicly to you and say, I will try my hardest to not do this ever again. I'm a one-eyed worshipper. Now, what do you do? What do you do? There are three indicators that of David's humility. Firstly, he cries out for mercy. That means that he's seen himself as unworthy. He needs mercy and grace. Secondly, he cries out for a refuge. That means that he feels vulnerable before his enemies. He's not self-sufficient. I'm dependent on you. It's your mercy. I'm dependent on you. Thirdly, he calls the refuge the shadow of God's wings. It just means he feels weak. He's come to God feeling weak. It's interesting, isn't it, that he, the description is so different to the boys that kill. He says, I want to come into the shadow of your wings. He says, I want to be a little chick in your presence. And the big guy, the 14-year-old with a gun in his hand says, I'm not going to be a chicken. I don't want to be a chick. Actually, we're called to be just chickens. Little tiny chick in the, in the shadow of his wing. David, the mighty warrior, the anointing one of God in the shadow. I'm just a little chick. Oh. The doorway to worship. The point is this, the cue. Humility will always be the doorway to worship. It's the doorway into this psalm. You can't really magnify the greatness of God and the greatness of yourself and your problems at the same time. You have to make a choice. Which is greatest here? My problem or my God? That's what David is coming. That's why he's able to say this sacrifice this, uh, the, the worship is a broken spirit, a broken and con- contrite heart. God does not despise these things. That's what he says. Look, I don't despise it. I love these things. Therefore, true worship will come to us when we humble ourselves in the presence of our God. God isn't worth being late for, is he? No. God's worth being here for to to meet you know it's not about your preferences or anyone else's at all in fact i don't know whether you've grasped this yet but worship is not about what you think at all 
it's not about what you think. There's a very simple song. It says, it's all about you, Jesus. No, it's wrong. It says, no, it's all about me. But then it goes, all this is for you. For your glory and for your fame. It's not about me. As if you should do things my way. I, they did it wrong this morning. I didn't like it. don't like it. That Tim Harmon. Bashes that drum like glory. Don't like it. There are only two communion cups. No, as if you should do things your, my way. No, no, you alone are God. I surrender to your ways. To your ways. Then that's what we have to come and, 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 uh, and do. Thirdly, Go. We need to hope in God's triumph. What do I mean? True worship comes from the instinct to hope in the triumph of God. There is a certainty of God's triumph that needs to be in us that causes us to gather. The change of building and the performance does not mean the change of theology or vision. Our our theology and a vision come something like this. Come in, meet with Jesus. It's written on our notice sheet. It will be on our notice sheet next month. It hasn't changed. Come in and meet with Jesus. This is our vision, folks. This is not something that, hey, that's a good catch line and actually can write it sideways down the notice sheet because that looks good. No, that isn't it. This was a prophetic word that was given to us in our early days. This was people that would, would remember the prophetic word that came in. But is it on my heart? Is it in my heart that I'm coming in to, to meet with Jesus? Is it on yours? I have to say to me, Nigel, come on. I'm coming in to meet with Jesus. I did not meet with Jesus this morning. Is that your fault? No, mine. Mine. Did I get up this morning, intended to do it? Yes. What happened, Nigel? I lost the plot. I lost it. John Piper says this. And it's a statement that we can all now go, come on, and we all know it. And as soon as I say it, one or two of you go, but listen to it again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. When we are most satisfied with him, when the bank of all our hope and certainty is on him and his triumph. It's very hard to make God look glorious and make God look wonderful when you are actually cheesed off. It's just true and grumpy. (laughs) It is. It is. Hope and joy are the best echoes of his excellence in worship. And we should be, we should be thinking, no, look, look in whom I am worshipping. I'm worshipping this excellent, perfect, wonderful, great, magnificent, all-glorious God. And you think, no, I'm not. I'm just worried about the beef that's got nicked out of our freezer one Sunday morning when we were in a church. No beef! Well, that's destroyed the day for us. It's, and it happens, that sort of stuff. No, until we learn that Jesus is the most wonderful thing, then it's going to be a struggle. Verse 2, David's deep assurance is this. And, and he says this, I cry to the God most high who fulfills his purposes for me. 
I cry to the God most high. The one we worship is the high one, the lofty one, the one above all things. Is this your God? Is this your God? The Hebrew simply says this, to God who completes or finishes for me. That's David's idea of of the thought of God. The thought of God is that the God in whom he worshipped is this triumphant, magnificent God. Here's the bottom line. Worship is not really possible without it. The God in whom I press through in my life for, the God in whom I humble myself for, this is the God who will not fail me. And sometimes we come, no God's failing me. Not getting what I want. Be interesting to review back to last week with the plans and purposes of God. We had a flock of people out here. They all came forward, and I don't know what many of them responded to, but they came forward, and, and a lot of them were that I want God to do this for me. This is what I want. I want this plan for me. I want that plan for me. Please, can I have this plan and this purpose for me in my life? And it's interesting, is there's a huge difference between want and need. I want this, and I want that, and if I can get that, and all that sort of stuff, if God will give me this, Actually, the only thing that God will give you that is perfect and wonderful and great is heaven. And the plans and purposes of God are actually not about us as individuals. They are his plans and his purposes. So that means that we do what he wants, not what I want. And that's the wonderful thing. He's in the triumph of God. That's just that I'm caught up in his plans, not mine. So whether I'm in, I don't know, Wrexham or Outer Mongolia or Africa, or I'm pursuing what God wants. How will God? And you can find that in the word of God. He wants his kingdom to come. He wants people to be saved. And this sort of thing, are we, are we swallowed up in the triumph of our God? He will help us to worship him. I can't remember what I've got to now. Oh, something like that. God's purposes, no, I don't know. Verse 3 spells it out. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame who, who, those who trample for on, on me. Is that true? Is that true? The answer is yes, it is true. And no, it isn't true. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame... Him who tramples upon me. Is that in this earth or is it in the other earth? For some of us, it might be in this earth. For some of us, it might not be. It might be in another. And this is what David was taken taken up in. He was taken up in the fact that the purposes of God, the heart of God, that what God wanted to do, that his circumstances were not bigger than God's. That was the thing. I'm not bigger than God. What I think, does, that sort of stuff. He will send from heaven and save me. Might this be on this earth? Could be. Might it be at the end? Yes. What, what do you want? Well, heaven can just wait a bit because I, I want to be saved here and now. And that's the sort of thing. That, and uh, Well, I, I don't want to be trampled on now, but I'm really glad that I won't be in heaven because there'll be no tears and that sort of stuff. And David's, David is content with either. David is able to say, if this happens on earth, glory to be God, to God. If this happens in heaven, glory to God. That's what he's happened to say. And because the, the purposes of God 
are, are, for, are really about how we serve him. Not how we do what we want to do, but how we serve him. And I think if we can lose that in ourselves, it will help our worship. Let's move on rather fastly. Hailing God's people, uh, God amongst the peoples. True worship comes from an instinct to hail God amongst the peoples. What do I mean? Worship has in it a a sort of expansive instinct. The more real, the more intense, the more it reaches and the more it draws out to others. I don't know whether you, you... We hear a lot today about the dynamic of private worship and about private devo- devotions. And there's a, lot that says, there's a lot that is said about it. And I actually am one of these people that think that we do need to recover the worship of God singly. We do need to spend time singularly reading the word of God, praying and worshipping him. We do need to do that. What we're talking about here and what David is talking about here is this is the dynamic of gathering together. This is the dynamic of standing shoulder to shoulder to worship the Lord. He's actually sort of saying there's something about everybody standing together and worshipping the Lord. There's something from heaven for us when the peoples gather together. Something about singing loudly. Something about an army of, of people that have got their hands in the air. Something about a dancing generation, not a dancing person. I don't know whether you've ever done this. I've found this. Again, I'm very sorry. That what happens sometimes is I think, I'd really quite like to dance here. And then I think, you're a bit of a fool. And then I think, I'll just go for it. And then I realise, they're all thinking I'm a bit of a fool. So what I do is, uh, I begin, you know, and I'm doing that sort of stuff. And then I sort of go, and, and it ends up with a bit, a bit, no, we're doing a bit like this. And we sort of calm down a bit. And we move into the sort of, the, just the gentle whittle. And that sort of, and it's just, and it is really what happens. Because we were actually designed to do this all together. That's the thing. The thing is that you see, if I'm dancing and you're dancing, there's a dynamic that comes. There's a dynamic when it says, lift up holy hands together. And suddenly you do that. I've done it in meetings. I've done it in non-charismatic meetings, which is not good. When you lift up your hands and suddenly you turn round <laughs> and you're the only one. And the finger goes up the nose and it it sort of goes into every place but it is. Because there's something that God wants to do when we all lift up holy hands. And we all dance, when we we all shout. It's not about sitting at the edge. It's about entering in. It's about participating and getting amongst the people of God. It's about the feel, as it were. I'm standing next to somebody who's just exploding in their love of God. It is wonderful. We, we have an elders meeting in, now in our front room. And I want to say to you, my front room is not very big. And you put Phil and Steve in, and it is even smaller. We have a little hole in our ceiling. That's for Phil. His head goes up. We have a little hole in the wall, that's for Steve. Goes out like this, and then I'm in the middle with this sort of thing, and then it's good. They're all it's not here. And what is wonderful is that we start our elders' meetings with worship. Callie, when I always go to bed, she says to me, That's just awful. Man, we were having a fantastic time. 
It was wonderful. I just loved it. I just love it and love it and love it. And, you, and then what you do is you say to these guys, we need to do some agenda stuff. And they all go, no. but, but I find that there's something that fires me up about it. Do you know what won't fire you up? Somebody that will not worship that is sitting next to you. If they will not worship, move. Move. Go and be amongst the word. This is what David is talking about. He's talking about the company of believers, your friends, your family, determined to worship God together, to, to lie down on the floor together, prostrate before our God, to dance, to shout, to raise our hands, to cry together when we see the mercy of God, to just do this. There's something that gets to us, that moves us, that, do, that gets, that we, well, you know. You know what I mean. I don't know. And you know, sometimes the way that we've got to do that is that we've got to speak to ourselves to do it. Verse 8 and 9 says this. It says, Awake, my glory, awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake on the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, amongst the peoples. I will sing praises to you amongst the nations. Here it comes. Firstly, you have to sort yourself out with this one. It's no good saying that you're sitting next to me and I'm like the proverbial windmill and I distract your worship. <sighs> you know, that sort of stuff. We have to seek to, we have to say, awake my glory. Awake. Awake or awake my soul. Wait. You have to say to yourself, tell yourself, bless the Lord, O my soul. Come on, Nigel, awake. You know, awake. Oh, no, the, you know, it was all going wrong this morning. You know, you have to say to yourself, no, no, Nigel, awake. You know, come on, those guys that have got prophetic gifts, awake. Come on, those tongue speakers, awake. Come on, those people that sing and sing out prophetic words. Awake! You have to say to yourself, you can't wait, just wait for the little sense of the Spirit of the Lord just to come upon me. Here it comes. No, it doesn't. Just wait a little bit longer. You know, and we do that sort of stuff. It, well, you have to go to yourself. No, awake! I'm coming this way. Come on, those people that love the Word of God, they've got scriptures. Awake! You have to say to yourself, no, this is what God has gifted me. This is what God has. I will awake to it. You can't wait. I'll just wait to see whether Nigel says hippopotamus. If he does, that's a word and I'm off. And that's a hippopotamus. That's me. Let's go. And you do like, oh no, he didn't say hippopotamus. Perhaps it'll be hippopotamus next week. It isn't. You have to say to yourself, awake. Awake gifting. Awake. Come on. It's there. The call and the gift of God is irrevocable. It's in there. The only problem that hasn't happened is that you haven't awoken yourself. You have to, some, some, maybe sometimes, you just come here earlier and say, just get in the court, go, awake, prophetic gift, awake, come on, it's there, let it burst out. Secondly, you have to prepare, not arrive. I will wake on the dawn. <coughs> what time is it? Quarter past ten, I'm just doing another 15 minutes. It's just really interesting. People want to just breeze in. Excuse me if I'm offending you, but I am. They just want to breeze in. They want to. I just. If I can just leave now at 25 past, belt in, and the words, and they say, "Didn't feel it this morning." No, you won't. It's, It's what David says. You have to awake on the dawn. 
You have to wake on the dawn. There are two sorts of, of explanations with this, and, the, and they're both wonderful. So here's the first one. You have to get up and prepare yourself to meet with God. You have to say, this morning, you, need, you do this, don't you? Well, I'll just get up early for work, and now I'm going to church. Oh, it's just church. You just, it's just church. Well, it's work tomorrow. I'll be up at 7.30, make my packed breakfast and all that packed breakfast, pack lunch, do all that sort of stuff, my little bag and carry down and all that sort of stuff. What is it? It's what, just church. No, awake on the dawn. Awake on the dawn. How do you expect to meet with God if we don't awake on the dawn? Or, I love this, the Hebrew, or I will awake the dawn with my praise. How about that one? I will, instead of the dawn waking you up, you wake it up. That'd be wonderful. Those tweeting birds that are outside your, you get up, open the window and say, you know, sing a worship song, that'll get them up. That's what the thing is about. Hey, pigeon, cop this. Whoa, let's let it out. Do this. Come on, prophesy to that little sparrow thing that just so annoying above your head. Get out with the word of God. My God is for us. Who can be against us? I will awaken you. And what does that do? It stirs something in your soul. It really, it sounds really funny. But actually, we were designed to awake the dawn with our praise. Oh, no, not five minutes. It's really cosy in here. Stroke the sheet a little bit longer. Teddy. (laughs) It's so cosy in here. And then you want to meet with God. You've loved the teddy more. It is true. Everybody's going, well, I hate you for this. Thirdly, (laughs) you have to decide, I will give thanks to you, Lord, amongst the peoples. I will. So you have to go, see this lot here? I'm going to worship God with these. You have to make that decision. Instead of looking at the thing. You have to say, no, I'm going to worship God with these. Fourthly, you have to want to do it with me. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, amongst the peoples. You do have to decide. Fifthly, it's a vision thing. I will sing praises to you amongst the nations. Let's go back. So let me just go back to the people's thing. You know, I, I, I know that I'm not... We should, we should want to worship God together. Shouldn't we? Poor old Rupert and Flew, just sitting there on your own. We should want to worship God together. It isn't just... Hold on this one, no, I'm just going to... Plug a few wires. No, forget wires. Forget musicians and you know and all that. Excuse me, they'll all go touchy. <laughs> but it is, it is. If we had to, we could get rid of the lot because it's about I want to meet with you together. We we can we should be able to have an elders meeting with no agenda. Hmm. We should, should be able to have a cell group. Just meeting with God. Should be able to have deacons meetings, whatever meeting, meeting with God. Should be, when the people gather, do you look, are you looking, I'm going to worship God with Rupert and Fleur this morning. Are you thinking, Fleur's got strange shoes on. That's going to affect me. It is like, you know, you're bursting through the door. I'm going to worship God with these people. 
Fifthly, it's a vision thing. It isn't just, I'm going to worship God with this, but it's, I'll worship God anywhere. Is that you? Do you, do you think, I'll just worship anywhere? You know, I will hail you, it says. I, I will worship praises amongst the nations. I'll do it anywhere, at all time. This is, this is how we should be. Spontaneous acts of worship, Phil. Just bursting out. Not random. Spontaneous. So we should be doing things like, you know, I'll I, I worship God here. I'll worship it in Wrexham. You know, if I have to go down to Oswestry, the place of paganism and evil stuff, I'll just worship him there. Go through to Deeside. That's a rubbish old place. No, I will worship him there. We will never plant a church in Rill and Prestatin. They are rough. Let's worship him there. Colwyn Bay, Thlandidno, Bangor, Carnarvon, Welshpool, Newtown, England, Scotland, Europe, the Americas, Asia, Africa, Australia, wherever I am, I will be a worshipper. It should be like that. It should be like that. I don't know whether ever, ever you've ever done this. I have been wheeled off a plane in Brazil to speak. And you, what you do is, you, this is a, a bit, you get on a bus from Rugeley to Heathrow. The bus stops every 15 minutes. You're knackered before you got to Heathrow. You get to Heathrow, you have to wait, now do you? Three hours, terrorism. So you've gone six hours before you've got on a plane. You go 14 hours, you've got to get across Sao Paulo. They, when you get on the bus in Sao Paulo, they, they look at you and you go, English? You go, yeah. American? No. They say, oh, the last people that went on the bus, they got shot. What? So you get on the bus and they say to you, let's put the si- you sit in the middle and we'll put the curtains down. You drive across Sao Paulo for an hour, you get on another plane, you've got to fly for four hours. You get there and you look like dog breath and that's what you look like. You smell and whatever and you are greeted with a load of Brazilians who are saying to you, we, we, uh, you're a little bit late but we're going straight into a meeting. So you think, okay, and, and so then they're going to worship God in Portuguese and you're going to speak through an interpreter and you think, I smell like this, I look like this, and you're going to do this. And you have to make up in your mind, no, I will worship God in the midst of the nations. So whether in Africa, I'm, you know, whether I go to Africa, I don't need to say, this is culturally different for me. It's just, I don't like this. They do all that wiggling thing and they all do it together. All at the same time, they, they all move. It's like a sea of arms going in and out of there. And then I try it, my leg and my arm goes out the wrong way. They're all doing it wrong. And not only that, they sing small choruses over and over and over and over and over again. Why don't they sing a second one for heaven's sake? They do this and then the, 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 the Africans come to us and they say, too many words, man. Too many words. What is this? Refrain, second chorus, third chorus, back, forward. They just want to sing simple songs and wiggle. And what they say, I can't worship Lord, the Lord here. You have to make up your mind whether you will worship God amongst the nations. It has to be something. It has to not be your preference of whether to wiggle or to not. Whether short songs or not. To, you have to say, no, I will worship you in all the earth. In all the earth. Let me finish. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, is it your heart to say, I will hail you? For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. 
Are you fully taken up with you or the character of God? The sense of God's love, the greatness of his faithfulness. Has it gripped you and shaped you so much that you do not care where you are and what you are doing, that you desire to glorify God? Has it so gripped you and shaped you that your circumstances are minor compared to it? Are you one of these people that says, well, I know this is going on, but your love is lavish and I want to worship you in this great company. Your greatness is indescribable. I want to worship you with a family. Your faithfulness is inexhaustible. I want to be with my friends as they glorify God. Are you one of these people that is just running through all the time? This thought, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Yes? Amen.